but it's always funny how the special music of the music always kind of occasionally just ties in with what the sermon's about without any planning at all. I, me and Cindy didn't get to sit down and talk about it and spend any time this week looking at it, but it's kind of, it's funny how when we look at it, it God just kind of does his own thing and brings two, two different minds together and has stuff that kind of matches up. I mean, he touched me as kind of fits perfect with what this sermon's about. Um, and it's the idea that it's kind of, as I read this, I want to read it. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read it. Normally I pray, read, and then I pray. I'm going to do both those at the same time. I'm going to kind of read the passage as a prayer because I think it kind of fits that way today. So bear with me. It's not going to be exactly as the Word says it because I'm going to try to adjust it to praying to God as opposed to reading and somebody telling what God's doing. All right. So join me in prayer and the reading of Scripture. So I love you, Lord, because... You have heard me. You've heard my appeal for mercy. You've turned your ear to me, and I, and I will call out to you as long as I live. As the ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of hell came over me, I encountered trouble and sorrow. And then I cried out your name. Father, save me. You are gracious and righteous and compassionate. You guarded me while I was inexperienced and helpless, and you saved me. You allowed my soul to rest, as you have been good to me. You rescued me from death. My eyes you rescued from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk before you, O Lord, in the land of the living. I believe even when I, when I said I am severely afflicted, everyone else around me was lying to me. How can I repay you, O Lord? For the good you have done for me. I'll take the cup of salvation and call upon your name. I will fulfill my vows to you in the presence of your people. The death of your faithful ones, oh, they're so valuable to you, Lord. Lord, I am your servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on your name. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all your people, in the courts of the Lord's house within you. Hallelujah. Amen. What we read here is a story that hopefully we all have. Uh, this is my story. As we read verses 1 and 2, it says, I love you, Lord, because you have heard my price for, price for mercy. Right? Remember we talk about mercy. Mercy is not getting something we deserve. I love you, Lord, because you heard my cries for mercy. You turned your ear to me, and I, will, and I can call out to you as long as I live. How great is that? We have a Lord and a God that hears our cries for mercy and that we can call out to. We spent time talking about Baal and all these other false gods as we've gone through the Old Testament, right? I mean, they might as well be yelling out to this bottle of water when they're asking for prayers. But we call out to a God that hears us 
who listens to us. How great is that? So as a young man, at nine years old, I cried out for the mercy that God gave me. Why? Because in verse 3 and 4, the ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Right? The ropes of hell were dragging me down there. And I realized that when I was nine. The sin in my life, the sorrow, the trouble that I had was dragging me away from God into hell directly because I wasn't saved. And when I realized that, I could only do one thing. When God's conviction came upon me, I could only do the one thing that I could do, and that was cry out for mercy from God. And when I cried out, and I realized that, and I cried out, Lord, save me, he heard me. He heard my plea for mercy, right? As the verse 1 and 2 said, he heard it. He listened to me, and I can cry out every day because he heard me. So I cried, So verse 4, then I call on the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, save me. Right? It's not Yahweh, I did good things for you. Fix it. We're being drugged into the pits. We can't save ourselves. Right? We can't pull ourselves up when the ropes are pulling us down. We have to have somebody save us. And only God can do that. And he shows us that we're in that trouble so that he can save us. When we get into verses 5 and five through 11, it says, The Lord is gracious and righteous and compassionate. How great is that? He's gracious, righteous, and compassionate. All those in the same thing. And he doesn't have to be compassionate on us. We choose to do the wrong. He chooses to hear our plea for mercy when we realize what the trouble we're in. We, we see that with our kids sometimes. We told them not to do something, not to do something. They, and they get hurt, do it, and then they go out and they do it, and they get hurt. And they cry for help. And we go, and hopefully, we're not mad still, and we go, I told you not to do that. Now you have a broken leg and you can't fix it. Go to the hospital, right? That's not what we do as parents. We go to them, and we have compassion, and we try to help them. Even though they did something we told them not to do. And that's what God does for us. Right? Especially the little ones, right? Don't touch that blank. Don't touch that pot. They touch it. They burn themselves. Right? We don't yell at them. We have compassion. We take care of that. That sore. That, that pain that they have. That burn. And the Lord is gracious, righteous, and compassionate. And then it goes on. I was helpless. Right? To be helpless means we have nothing we can do right we think of a baby as being helpless they can't feed themselves they can't they can't change themselves they can't do anything they're helpless they need help that's me with God as my helper right 
I was helpless in my sin. There was nothing I could do. But the Lord was gracious, compassionate, loving towards me. And it goes on. He says, I was helpless, and what? He saved me. I was helpless, and he saved me. Uh, we have sometimes we, have, we get this thought process wrong is I was helpless and I cried out to him and and I did the right things and it fixed the problem right there's a lot of eyes there right the right of the psalm says I was helpless and he saved me right? those two things have to go together in our mind as Christians we have to remember I was helpless in my sin and God saved me. Not I did enough things to get there. Not I was helpless, so I so I went to church and I talked to people and I tithed a certain amount or I, and I read my Bible so many hours a day and I prayed so many times. Those things are good, but you're still helpless. He has to do the work. He has to save you. And we can't get that confused. We can't say, I'm doing enough because we can never do enough. He has to do the work. Now, I love this next, the next pass apart. Verse 7 says, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Return to your rest, my soul. How great is that? Right? When we're so worked up and things are going on around us and we're trying to fix ourselves right, when problems in the world around us and we think we can fix it, we're working hard and, and we're just not comfortable. We're not feeling right. We're struggling with it. We're anxious. We're sick. We're nauseous. Right? Our anxiety's up. We have heartburn. We have stomach aches. Right? All those things that come with being worked up and anxious about things. And trying to control the world around us. Here the writer says, Return to rest, my soul, for the Lord has done good for you. And think about those times when you've been so worked up and you finally hand it over to the Lord and say, God, you take this. I'm not going to worry about it. How much that load just goes down? The anxiousness is gone. The stomach aches are gone. The heart, heartburn's gone because you're no longer wear, wearing that burden on you. And what Jesus says later on, and, and it says, take my, take, a, take my yoke for my burden is light, right? We think of the yoke. We think two oxen together or two animals together. They're pulling. Jesus says, let me be the one pulling. You just hang on with me and walk with me. I'm going to pull. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be easier for you. Follow me. And it's, there's always a great feeling. I remember in one of the moments that, and it really, really wasn't the same idea, but just that weight was just being taken off. As I turned in my last paper for seminary, you know, I realized that yoke was no longer, that, that struggle, that weight of being in that was no longer there. I told my wife after I said, there's only one thing I can really kind of compare this feeling to at this moment. And that was just like a fresh salvation because I didn't have any more worries to worry about because it was taken away. 
And I think we do that a lot. We, we build up so much in our own lives and we hold on to it so tight because we think we can fix it. We think it's our job to take care of it. We made the mistake, right? I got myself into this problem. I can get it. I have to work my way through it. Uh, and to use the, the phrase that we use in the world here is I pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? I mean, just picture yourself and sitting on the floor trying to pick yourself up by pulling your bootstraps. You know, I've always, I'd always used that phrase, and I was talking with a guy in Puerto Rico, and I said that, and he goes, what? That makes no sense, because he had never heard that phrase before. Like, we understand what that means here in Oklahoma, because it's a common phrase. But in Puerto Rico, they don't have a, they, he's like, what is that? That's, that's so dumb. He's trying to picture it in his head, somebody trying to sit down and pull himself up by his bootstraps. It's impossible. Right? And that's what we're trying to do as Christians at times, is we're trying to sit there. We're trying to pull ourselves up and get ourselves up and, and stand ourselves up when the problems are coming. And all we have to do is say, God, help me. He's listening. And we're not willing to reach out. So we were helpless, and he saved us. And we can rest now because he has rescued us. He has saved us. And he goes on and says, For Lord, you rescued me from death, my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. He rescued us from the pains of the world, the pains of hell. Says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said I am severely afflicted. In my alarm, I said everyone is a liar. So as we walk in the, in the world with the Lord, what's the world telling us? Think about what the world tells us on a daily basis. Just think about commercials you've seen, movies you've seen, music you listen to. Right? And the world has. Just think about all those things. What the, world, what the world says in those. And all the negative things that they're okay with. There's so much that the world's telling us that is a lie. And Satan just fills it in easy. easy right? the, and it's so much so that everyone around us starts believing those things. One by one. Whether in the church, out of the church. People believe things that are lies. And so as we're looking for help and we're asking people around us, we realize that people are going to fail us. Even the best Christian is going to fail us probably at some point. They're going to make a mistake. They're going to disappoint us. There's only one perfect. That's God. We have to look up and cry out to him for that help. Then in verse 12, we see... He asked a question. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? How can you repay the Lord for all the good he has done for you? I mean, think about what he's done for you as a Christian. He rescued you from the depths of hell. How can you repay him for that? 
can't, right? <laughs> it's impossible. There is nothing we can do that says, my, I can give you this and that makes up for what you did for me. I mean, he sent his son to die on the cross. I mean, even if we take our child and, and kill him, that's not enough to repay what Christ did for us on that cross. But the writer comes up with three things he can, he can do that work towards that goal. The first one, I can take the, that um, will take the cup of salvation. Right? Remember, Christ paid the, paid the price already. First thing we have to do is we have to take that cup of salvation. We have to say, God, I accept you, your gift that you're giving me. I can take that. I can take the gift you give me. I can take the love that you want to give me. I will take your cup of salvation. The second thing is, I will call on the name of Yahweh. I will spend time with God. I will fellowship with Him. All right. So I'm going to let you give me the salvation that you paid the price for. And I'm going to call upon your name. I'm going to spend time in prayer with you. And the third thing is, I will fulfill the fulfill, fulfill my vows, Lord, in the presence of His people. Right? I'm going to make public what you do for my life. And when you call me to do something, I'm going to do it for you. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the vows that you have? How are you committed to the Lord? What is He calling you to do through your salvation? We all have one common vow, and that's to share God's message of what he did in our lives to the people around us. Are we publicly sharing what God's doing in our lives? How he's changing them, how he's accomplishing goals, how he's fulfilling our prayers? I remember having a conversation with a, a pastor a few years ago, and, and he, he was worried about telling too many people about what God's doing because he didn't want it to seem pride and arrogant that God was doing better stuff in his life. And we had to decide, was it, is that important to share? And yes, it's important to share what God's doing. When God does something miraculous in life, it's important because how else are people going to know that God's still working if you're not sharing what God's doing for you? That's right. I tell stories about what God's done and how he's, Fulfilled a promise to me and taking care of me. Why? Because that's what he calls to. I give glory to God in what he's done in my life. And we do it publicly. It's not about saying how good I am. It's about saying how good God is and how faithful he is. When we call upon his name, he hears us. Three ways that he said to repay the Lord. Take, the, take salvation. So if you haven't done that today, the price for your sins have been paid. All you have to do is accept the salvation. Right? If he's convicting you today, if he's showing you that right now you're being dragged into hell because of the sins in your life, cry out and accept his salvation. And it's, it's more than just 
saying magic words. It's about changing your life, changing your heart, and making him the king. And then call upon him as you go forward and fulfill the vows that you make with him. Verses 15 and 16, it says, The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. So that's kind of the opposite of what we would think, right? The death of faithful Christians, that's great for God. I can think of two reasons for that. One, he gets to spend time in heaven with those faithful Christians, right? But how many of you can think in your, in your mind of a faithful Christian that you know that gave everything to the Lord and is known worldwide for what how God's used them? Right, our Christian martyrs, uh, great pastors and stuff, right? Jim Elliott, Billy Graham, uh, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, right? What, what's, what's so special about them? God's used them, and their stories of being faithful are still being told year after year, day after day. And so the message of those faithful Christians and faithful followers is still being told in their death because they lived a life that honored Christ. And so there's a constant growing of it, right? And so we can all think of these people that we can share the memories of and what God did in their lives. Even in their suffering, they still serve God and praise God. When we think of Jim Elliott, without his death, his ministry may not have been as great. But his reach of his story of how God used him, even though it cost him his life, his wife's ministry through the grief of losing her husband spread his name, spread God's name, his glory through it all in the midst of all the struggling. We finish up verse 16, it says, Lord, I am indeed your servant because you have loosened my bonds. He, has, he took the bonds of sin off of you where they were no longer holding you tight. They don't control you. Those ropes pulling you down to hell, they're no longer holding you. You can get you broke free of those with salvation. Now you get to go to heaven because he saved us. And so he finishes off with a vow in verses 17 through 19. So he asks the question, how can I pray the Lord in verses 12 through 14? But then he comes back in 17 and says, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord, of, of Yahweh. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. All right. So now it's not how can I. He's finishing off. He's saying, I will do this. I will offer thanksgiving and call upon your name. Do we offer thanksgiving and call upon the name when God does something miraculous in our life? I know we're very good at when problems are happening, we're very good at asking for help, right, in those moments. Somebody's sick or somebody's having problems. We're, we're very quick to ask for help. But are we quick to offer thanks, say thanks to God for the healing of a person? Many times I think we pray for healing 
And then we say the doctors did a great job. Right? We're praying to God because it needs miraculous healing. But then we praise Dr. So-and-so for doing the good work. And we completely forget to praise God for doing the good work through that doctor. Or we, we pray because we're in financial struggles. And then God gives us this idea of something to do. And we work at it. And we, we follow his plan. And then we do a good job. And we say, look how hard I worked to get this taken care of. And we forget God, God gave the plan. He did the work for you. We're very quick to ask for help, but do we offer the thanksgiving that we need to give God for what he's done? And I think in our, in our minds, we kind of forget that sometimes. To hear he says, I will offer thanksgiving and I will call upon your name, not just in the bad times, but in the good times as well. And I fulfill the vows and the presence of others in the Lord's house. Now in this passage, he's referring to the Lord's house as being the tabernacle. Right, in Jerusalem. That's no longer there, so how do we do that, right? Well, as Christians, guess what? We are the Lord's house. I mean, this is a great building. We're going to the Lord and we're coming together as a church. But this building is not the Lord's house. He has many houses in this room. And he's in all of them at the same time. Praise the Lord, right? And so, do we fulfill the vows, in the presence of others within our hearts, within our minds? Are we doing as God calls us to do? Are we speaking to people God calls us to speak to? Remember, when we got saved, we said, God, you are my Savior, my Master, my King. All right? And to say you are my King back then, man, that was everything. If a King said to do it, you did it. If you didn't, you were killed. Right, so that's the terminology they're looking at through the Bible. It's an absolute thing. You're giving them reign over everything in you. Did we do that when we got saved? Did we say, my life is yours to use as you want to be used? Or did we say, protect me from hell and let me live a life that I want to live? There's many times that then I go back to that thought process. Let me live how I want to live, God. Things are working good. I can handle it from here. Right. There's not problems right now. I can, I can make it right now. Five minutes later, I screw it up. But in my mind, I think that's whether consciously or unconsciously, that's what we do. We let God fix our problem, and then we come back in and we say, we take back control of it, and we say, I'm in control. We have to get back to fulfilling the vows for God in front of him. We have to remember what he did for us, the good works he did in our lives, and the changes on a daily basis. I just want to finish up with going back to that, the very first two verses. I love the Lord because he hears my cry for mercy. Because he listens, I will cry out forever don't forget God's listening he wants you to cry out to him he wants to, to 
spend time with him, not just cry out because you're in bad times. He wants to know you as a person. He wants to spend time with you daily, momently, whenever, right? He loves you so much that he sent his son to die. He wants to have that relationship with you because he knows we're helpless. Even on our best day, we're still helpless. We have no power to do anything. We don't have power over life or death. We don't have power to change things in our lives. But he does. We have issues with people. Guess what? We can pray and God can change their hearts. Or ours, because maybe we're the one having the problem, not them. He can change the situation. We can pray for what we need, what others need, and God can change things. We can't really change a whole lot about what's going on. We think we can. We think we have control, but we really don't. So we have to cry out to God to take care of us because he'll rescue us and he'll keep us from stumbling. Let us go to the Lord in prayer.